Okay, so I, I very much appreciate the, the opportunity, Aguda, for, uh, for giving me the opportunity to be able to, uh, to speak about uh, something which uh, I spend a lot of time uh, uh, doing, a lot of time of my day with various uh, organizations, uh, both here in town as well as the Business Halacha Institute, for those who are familiar with, uh, with their work, the Business Weekly, which comes out. And uh, we, we field a lot of shilas, we field a lot of questions, uh, and uh, Baruch Hashem, due to uh, the uh, awareness which is, uh, which is spreading, so Shilohs are becoming more and more, and people are becoming more sensitive to, uh, to questions. And we can see that there's a, 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 a consequence to, to what we do. People say, oh, I read you know, a few weeks ago something in the Business Weekly, and therefore uh, it reminded me of a Shiloh which I have. I uh, read something. One of the other things which I do is uh, if your children don't get Circle Magazine, they should because there's a section up for discussion. So that also is teaching children Chosha Mishpat. I'm also uh, behind that, which is something which is uh, Bar Hashem, uh, uh, a way of being able to raise the new generation to not think that Chosha Mishpat is something which is foreign to them, to realize that it's something which is part of their, uh, their daily lives. So I often say that what happened, uh, that there's a major shift between the beginning of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century. It's a subtle shift, but it's a major shift. And anybody who knows anything about uh, you know, American Jewish history knows that at the beginning of 20th century, there was a tremendous challenge to keeping Shabbos. But the nature of the challenge to keeping Shabbos at the beginning of the 20th century was the fact that all businesses, almost every business was open on Shabbos, and the Jewish employee would come to his employer at the end of the day on Friday and say, I'm not going to be able to come tomorrow because it's my Sabbath. I'll see you on Monday. And almost inevitably, the employer would say, if you're not showing up tomorrow on Saturday, don't show up on Monday. You don't have a job anymore on Monday. And it was a huge nisayun for families to have to face that week in and week out that if I don't come in, I'm not going to have a job. And if I don't have a job, how am I going to pay for food? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to take care of my family and all of those things? And it was a, a huge, huge nisayun, which none of us should uh, know from that because it's something which had uh, a, a lot of effects. The beginning of the 21st century, where we are now in the 21st century, we also have a nisayun of Shabbos. But it's not the Nisayun, it's not the same Nisayun of deciding, are we going to go to Shul, we're not going to go to Shul, we're going to go to work on Shabbos, we're not going to go to work on Shabbos. The Nisayun that we have as far as Shabbos is concerned is to be Shabbos compliant with our businesses. Because businesses, by and large, are 24-7. And if businesses are 24-7, so is it possible that the business can be running, can be functional on Shabbos, even though you're in Shul? You're in shul, you go to the shir before davening, you, go to, you, you, you enjoy your davening immensely with all the singing and all the excitement and the rabbi's drasha, hopefully, and all the things associated with that, and then you enjoy kiddush afterwards, and you stay afterwards for a chavrusa, and then you have your, uh, your cholent, and then you relax for a little bit, and then you learn more. And the whole day, you personally are involved in shmirah Shabbos, Kedusha Shabbos, Oneg Shabbos, observance of Shabbos. But meanwhile, it could be in your office or on your computer, on the web, your business is hard at work, is doing all the things which it does during the week. And depending on how, you stru- how one structures it, it could either be Shabbos compliant or it could be in gross violation of Shabbos. And this has to do with awareness. It has to do with asking Shilas, and it has to do with making sure to direct Shilas to those people who are familiar with the, uh, the issues and those people who can integrate that with halacha and make sure that everything is going to be fully compliant. Ruchaim Kohn, the head of the, uh, the Business Institute, so he told us that one of the things which he does, it was uh, really his idea, is to give businesses a halachic audit. 
Everybody's familiar with an audit in general, but to give a halachic audit, to open up all the books, open up the business, welcome him in and say, you go ahead, ask us any questions you want, we'll tell you what our business model is, what we do, how we function, you tell us what we need to do in order to make sure that we're ribis compliant and choshemishba compliant, and all of those things. And he told us that almost inevitably what he discovered was that people were Choshen Mishpa compliant. By and large, they were Yoridea compliant, Yoridea compliant in terms of ribbis. He said their Shabbos was a mess. Shabbos people just aren't attentive to, to the fact because in their mind, I'm in shul on Shabbos. I'm not going to work on Shabbos. I don't have the Nisayan of the beginning of the 20th century. I'm in shul and I'm going to Shurim and I'm learning and I'm drawing Shabbos. How could there possibly be an issue? But there's a big issue. There's a big issue because... If your business is open, like an Amazon, if you're an Amazon seller or something like that, so the business is going to be open on Shabbos, you can have employees, even if it's not an Amazon business, you can have employees who are working on Shabbos, and depending how exactly you go ahead and structure that, could either make your business halachically compliant, Shabbos compliant, or it could be in gross violation of Shabbos, where over the course of Shabbos, God forbid, law Lenu, there could be hundreds of violations of Shabbos which are taking place while, you're, while you personally are perfectly compliant. So it's a very broad topic, this topic of businesses which are, which are running on Shabbos, Amazon which is running on Shabbos. So I want to begin the discussion uh, by focusing on one element which has all sorts of ramifications, all sorts of applications in different areas of halacha. And the first thing is, and this also, it's, a, it's almost a 21st century thing, but the nature of Kinyanim, one of the topics which we did recently in the Kolel, was the topic of Kinyanim. So Kinyanim, generally, historically, is relatively straightforward. In the time before, Chazal came along and changed things. So if I go ahead and I give you money for some product, so most konos, money would go ahead, and that would affect the transaction, that would affect the Kinyan. I give you money, your product now belongs to me. For whatever reason, Chazal said, we don't want that to happen anymore. Ma'os are not going to be konem. Money is no longer going to affect the transaction, the Kenyan. And now what you need to do is you need to do Mashiach, you need to do Hagbah, you need to make physical move, the object physically, in order to be able to affect the Kenyan. So that's also an easy way of doing so. I give you money, I take the product from the shelf, and I walk out with it. That also is going to be, is going to be a Kenyan because I took the product. Everybody here... Uh, is bought things online many, many times. And when you begin to think about it, we think about, oh, you made a Kenyan on the thing. But if you take a step back and you begin to consider, when exactly does the Kenyan take place? When does the Kenyan, when I buy something online, I buy a box of Cheerios, something as mundane as a box of Cheerios. So I go ahead and I say, I, uh, I, I, I go onto my Amazon account, I find the box of Cheerios that I want, it's on sale, I go ahead and I give them my credit card information, I give them the shipping information, uh, it goes through and I get the notice at the top of the screen which says, your transaction has been completed. Do I own anything at that point? What was that Kenyan which I just made? And we know that depending if you use uh, if you use PayPal and stuff like that, they tell you money will not be taken out of your account until the uh, until the item ships. So I didn't actually give them money because I'm using a credit card. So we have to think about what exactly is the nature of a Kenyan which is being performed with a credit card. But on top of that, when does that box of Cheerios become mine? When I give them the information, when I get the notice, when they go ahead and they put it into an Amazon box and they put a label on it that's going to be shipped to my house, when it actually reaches my house, when they drop it off on my front step, or when I actually take it inside. Now suddenly, 
where what we thought was such a simple thing, what could be simpler than making a Kenyan? I give you money, you give me product. Straightforward, there's nothing complex about that at all. And suddenly every element of this transaction, now we have to pinpoint and we have to now figure out exactly what needs to be done. It reminds me a little bit also, you could connect it to Shabbos, that one of the great things about halach, any halacha in general, but it's true of any legal system, is that the most important thing that you need to do is you need to define your terms. If you don't have a clear definition of terms, then whatever the laws are, they're completely meaningless because they're undefined. So for centuries and centuries, from Harsinai, 2448, until, let's say, the year 1948 or so, till uh, microwaves were created, so the basic definition, one of the most fundamental definitions of bishel, of cooking, involved heat. You had to have a heat source. It could be fire, it could be something which was heated by fire, it could be hot springs, whatever it's going to be. You had to have a source of heat in order for Bishel to take place. And then suddenly God creates, in the 20th century, God creates microwave ovens, and suddenly you're able to cook a food. It's able to go from raw to edible without heat. Now what do we do with that? Is that called Bishel? Does that meet the halachic criteria of Bishel in the absence of a heat source, or does it not? So suddenly a post can now have to retool and rethink everything that they thought was so passionate and so obvious about the definition of cooking, and now we've got to think about it again. We've got to take a step back and say, hmm, what is going to be the essential definition of cooking, and is it necessary that it involves heat? So here also, kinyanim was a straightforward thing. Nobody thought about it in any great depth, and now suddenly we have to think about it very, very seriously. So there's a lot of ramifications, as I said, there's a lot of ramifications and in, in, in applications of this. And the question is, and this, this affects even something as far as whether or not, the very simple question, but it's a very Lemaisa question, can I order chametz on Pesach from an Amazon account to be delivered after Pesach? If you tell me the king takes place as soon as I put in my information and I get the notice saying that your, your transaction has been confirmed, I already own the chametz. If I already own the chametz, so then I violate Nisad Araisa. If the king takes place some point later on in the process, maybe when it's dropped off at my house, so then I didn't own any chametz on Pesach. I ordered the chametz on Pesach. I may have paid for the chametz on Pesach, but if I didn't get, if I didn't make the final kinyan on it as of yet, then I didn't violate any, any, of, the, any of the Asurim. So this is something which is extremely, extremely important to pinpoint, to be able to iron out, and to be able to get the definitions. Because once I have the definitions, then everything is going to fall into place. And we'll see interesting applications of this. So one is, is everybody knows the difference. If you go into, if you go into, uh, you're, you're in the market for a used car. So you go to a used car dealer, and you say, I saw your ad for this car. Is it really as much as, uh, you know, as little as you say that it is? Does it have all the features that are advertised? You have to make sure that, uh, you know, it's all, it's all completely honest as far as all that is concerned. We, when we bought our first 15-passenger van, so the reason why we went to the dealer that we went to is because it looked like they had an additional door on the driver's side, which never happens. But that was the picture. The picture clearly had an additional that sliding door on the driver's side of a 15-passenger van. So, wow, that would be convenient because depending, no matter which school we go to and which side they unload, they'll be able to go ahead and just go right out of that thing. We get there, Lohayev There's no such thing as a sliding door on the, on the driver's side. But that was the picture. That's why we, ended up with that. That's why we went there. So one of the things which you have to do is you go to the, the thing, you say, okay, this model, you test drive it, you say, yes, let's go ahead and let's, uh, let, let's make the, the car. A, uh, a 2018 Camry. I think that's the most popular car in Lakewood. So 2018 Camry, that's the one you decide. So then they go ahead and they say, okay, here's the keys to the car. You say, what? 
I was expecting a different color 2018. I didn't mean this 2018 Camry, the one that I just test drove. I wanted one which is in mint condition. And I, I think you're selling me the wrong car. They said, what do you mean? It's as is. We sold you this car, and this car is what the transaction was. If those who don't get scared by Diktuk, that's the hey hayidia. You're sold this car. It's not this model car, it's this car. So that's one type of transaction where we know the exact object which is being purchased, and that's the meeting of the minds which has to be there. Then you could do, after you buy your car, as what happens is we're going to the spending spree, so you say, you know what, I need a new refrigerator also. So you go here in Chicago, you go to Apt, you go to the appliance store, and you look at all of the floor models, you say, which ones are Shabbos compliant, not Shabbos compliant, you figure all of that out, you say, okay, I want to go ahead and I want to buy this one. They say, okay, here, fill out the paperwork, it'll be delivered in two weeks. You say, no, 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 I want this one. I want this floor model one. They say, we're not selling you the floor model one. We're selling you this model, and we're going to deliver one at whatever one, which is coming out of our, our, our storage facility. At some point in two weeks, we'll get around to delivering it. So there, what you bought was not this refrigerator. You bought the model. And they will go ahead, and they'll, put one out of their, they'll pull one out of their warehouse at some point, and they'll deliver it to you. So when you buy the car... So when you drive off the lot, that's the car. You bought this car, hey, how you dia, this car, and the transaction all revolves around this. If this car ends up being defective, they didn't disclose something about the, the, the car. They sold it to you in the wintertime, and you didn't realize that the, uh, the air conditioning doesn't work. So if it turns out they sold you a defective car, the whole transaction is over. Because I bought this car, and if this car is defective, the whole Kenyan is now null and void. When you buy something at the appliance store without the hey hayidiyah, you buy the model, so then if they deliver that refrigerator, the model refrigerator which you wanted, it turns out that it's defective. Can you go ahead and say to the store, listen, I want my money back, transaction is over because you sold me a defective thing. Nothing doing. We'll take that out of your house and we'll give you another one. Because you didn't buy this particular refrigerator, you bought the model. And we will go ahead and we still have an obligation to give you, to deliver to you a model which matches what you, what you wanted to buy. And therefore, the, the relationship between the seller and the customer, the merchant and the customer, still exists even though what they gave you initially was defective. In halachic terminology, if you want to start getting fancy, you want to start throwing out terms to sound impressive because you learned something at the, uh, the H3, th- H3 Summit. So what you'll tell them is that type of Kenyan, which does not have the Heha where you're buying the floor model, is what we call a Kenyan Hishaivus. The Kenyan which takes place is that when I go ahead and I give you, merchant, money for this, whatever it is, for the box of Cheerios, so the, the relationship we've now created, when I gave you my credit card information, and you, to order a box of Cheerios, is you've now accepted upon yourself the obligation to deliver to me a box of Cheerios. I don't own any Cheerios yet. I haven't, bought, I haven't put my hands, I haven't made a Kenyan on a box of Cheerios as of yet, because I didn't make a Kenyan on Ha Cheerios, with the Heha Yediyah, I made an obligation, I created a relationship with you whereby you have an obligation to deliver to me Cheerios. It could be the box of Cheerios which is on this end of the shelf. It could be the box of Cheerios on that end of the shelf. It doesn't matter to me. You could go ahead and you could buy a whole new box of Cheerios. You could go to your own store, local store, take the box of Cheerios, put it in a box and send it to me. Because I didn't buy the box, a box, a specific box of Cheerios. The Kenyan is, a Hishaivos, is only going to be that you have an obligation to provide it to me. That's something which is extremely significant. Because what that means is, is the box of Cheerios, which eventually they take off of the shelf and they ship to me, it's not mine yet. 
I never made a Kenyan on that. Because, since it wasn't delivered to me, I never did Mashiach, I never did Hagba. The only relationship that we have is this Kenyan Hizchayvus. So you remain obligated to provide me that box of Cheerios until I receive the box of Cheerios. And this has ramifications. I don't want to get into, uh, into Ashavas Aveda and stuff related to that. But this has major ramifications as far as Ashavas Aveda. Because in the event that the wrong package gets dropped off at your house, or you end up with the wrong package, they send you the wrong thing, so whose, exact, whose object is now lost? Who's, who is the last known object of this particular thing? And that's something which is extremely important, as I said, ramifications in terms of a Shavas Aveda returning lost object when the wrong package gets delivered or it gets delivered somewhere else. So that is something which is step number one in terms of understanding the nature of the Kenyan is when you purchase something online and you give them your credit card information, you have not made a Kenyan on the object yet, maybe on eBay when you order a specific thing, yes. But when you're ordering something on Amazon, you're ordering something on Nordstrom's, or you're ordering something in any store... All you have done so far is you've created a relationship where they're obligated to provide you with product, but you haven't actually acquired particular product as of yet. Now, while we're here talking about this thing, there's, there, there's a chumrah which actually emerges from this. And this is something which it was actually an, it was in the circle, for those who, uh, who are up to date in the, in the circle. So it's a case which happened, the person, I, 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 I present the halacha, I submit the halacha, with the, 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 the basic structure of the case, and then there's a person who speaks comic. I don't speak comic, so I can't write in comic. But there's another person who speaks comic, and they take the idea and they make it into what is the comic, and then you have an illustrator who also actually uh, illustrates everything. So this person who, is, who speaks comic, the language which I don't speak, so he happens to be a Rebbe in Lakewood, and somehow his students figured out he uses a pen name, Literally, he used a pen name to go ahead and to, uh, to disguise it up, but his students figured out who, uh, who he was. And a shayla, which we had recently, was something which, uh, which came up. And he and I had a machlokas about what the halacha was. And I'll tell you, because this is going to be relevant to online transactions and stuff of that, of that sort. So the case was that a couple of boys, those who, uh, who saw it, a couple of boys went into, uh, into a store, and there were some new fancy-looking ices, had you know, bright colors and whatnot on the ices. So the boy said to the person behind the counter, how much are these ices? They, they, they said, they're, they're, there's nothing posted. It doesn't, it doesn't have a price tag. So he says, I don't know. It's not ringing up as anything. I'll give it to you for a dollar. So they were thrilled. They got ices for a dollar. They walked to school. They've got all you know, red, green, yellow, purple all over their mouths. And people said, wow, that looks, uh, that looks great. Where did you get it? We bought it at this store. How much was it? It was a dollar. So everybody pours out of class, pours out of school, and they go there because all oh, they all want this, uh, this fancy-looking ices, which only costs a dollar. A dollar is incredibly cheap. So the owner sees all these boys in there, and they're all buying these. He says, what are you guys doing? He said, we're here to buy the ices. It's only a dollar. He said, a dollar? It's three fifty. He says, what, what do you mean? The, the, our friends just bought it an hour ago. They told us they only paid a dollar for it. He said, well, they, they, they were charged the wrong amount. One of the first boys who only paid a dollar for these 350 ices, what's their responsibility? That was a shy. What do they have to do? Do they have to go back and speak to the store owner? Do they have to pay back the thing? So the way that it was presented to me was a shyla of Ona. Ona, as you all know, is that there's a market range that, uh, uh, that products are sold for. And if you're outside of that market range, one-sixth above, one-sixth below, so either you get a refund or you could cancel a transaction altogether. How that works when the ice is already finished already... A different, a different schmooze for a different time. But it was approached from the perspective of Ona, because the cost was a dollar. I'm sorry, the cost was 350 
the boys only paid a dollar. Paying a dollar for a 350 item is way beyond one sixth. And therefore, bitomekach, we should cancel the transaction, and this is a regular shayla. It seems to be like a classic shayla vona, correct? Yeah? Because they underpaid for uh, something which is worth more. It's not no shayla. And this is something which is important to know when you're, when you're, when you're dealing with online transactions. This is mekachtos. What does that mean, it's mekachtos? At the very core of every transaction is a meeting of the minds. You have to have the merchant and a customer, and they have to discuss what is the product which we are selling, what's the condition of the product which we are selling, how much is it being sold for, and if the two parties go ahead and iron out all those details, and they have a meeting of the mind that this is a fair price for this thing, then you have a Kenyan. If somebody is deceptive in any way, somebody misrepresents his product, somebody is dishonest, rather than giving you three real dollars, I gave you some counterfeit money or something like that, you never agreed to sell me the object for one real dollar and two, two counterfeit dollars. That was never the meeting of the minds. And once there's a breakdown of the meeting of the minds, that's what we call mekartos. So what happens is, over here is, the boy thought, the person who presented it, he thought that since you only paid a dollar for a 350 item, that's ona. Ona, by definition, is you and I, we know what the product is. I'm selling you a, 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 a used computer, and I tell you exactly how much I'm charging you for it. I tell you, I bought this new computer, I bought this laptop five years ago for $1,000. It's almost in mint condition, no scratches or anything like that. It's worth $800. Now, we all know that a five year old computer, no way is that going to go for $800, maybe $8. You'll go ahead and get for a five year old computer. But you speak to somebody who doesn't know the market, and they say, okay. In car terminology, it makes sense. Five-year-old car, you bought it for $1,000, now it'll sell for $8,000, it's still in good condition, maybe it actually makes sense. So there, what happens is, we had a meeting of the minds. The meeting of the minds was, I'm selling you this laptop, I'm telling you exactly how much I'm selling it for, you agree to buy it for that exact amount, Ona is, I took advantage of your ignorance of the market. Being that you don't know anything about the used computer market, so I took advantage of your ignorance, but the breakdown over there is not the fact that we didn't have a meeting of the minds. Our minds met 100% as far as the transaction was concerned. The problem was, I exploited your ignorance. If something is, if, if a, a 350 item, an item which costs 350 is sold for a dollar, the merchant never agreed to sell that for a dollar. He agreed to sell for three fifty. In his mind, the price for this ISIS is three fifty. So if the boys bought it for a dollar rather than three fifty, the breakdown is not the fact that the boys exploited the merchant by underpaying because the merchant doesn't know the value of his ISIS. He knows exactly what the value of his ISIS are. The breakdown is it turns out we didn't have a meeting of the minds. We never had an agreement between us that we are both on the same page for these ISIS. And being that, there was a breakdown in terms of the meeting of the mind, there was no transaction. It's not like there was a transaction which had ona, there's no transaction whatsoever. So the person said, okay, shtoyach, it's a nice lumdus, it's a nice shear, you can speak about it at the H3 summit, but what does it have to do with lamaisa? Lamaisa, it's going to end up being the same thing anyways, because either way, they underpaid for an object, and seemingly they're going to have to return it. The difference is, and this is where it ends up being a chumrah, is if you're online searching for a product, and you see that what normally is a $200 item is being sold for $20, clearly it's a price glitch. No doubt about it. There's no way anybody is selling this $200 item for $20. Clearly, whoever was inputting the information into the computer forgot a zero or hit enter too soon, and now this is selling for $20. So people think that that's a ona, a, a ona Shaila. 
that you're underpaying for this object. It's $200, you're paying only $20 for it. It's Ona, and whether there's Ona by a non-Jew or not, so it enters into that whole discussion. It has nothing to do with Ona. That's Bito Mekach. It's Mekach Tos. Because we know for certain that the merchant never had in mind, he never intended to sell this $200 item for $20. It was a mistake. And if it was a mistake, our American brain says, well, it's his fault, it's his mistake, it's his employee that made the mistake, he'll have to suffer the consequences. But that's not true. Because mekach tos, it doesn't make a difference whether the other person on the transaction is a Jew or a non-Jew, mekach tos cancels the transaction entirely. And if you know that this is a price glitch, and you're going to try and take advantage of it in that context because... That's the, posted, uh, that's the posted price, and too bad, so sad. He should, have been more, he should have been more careful and checked over his numbers twice. It's not true. That would be Geneva, because you went ahead and you bought something without the merchant's consent, and therefore, the whole transaction is null and void. You're not allowed to go ahead and buy that thing for that, uh, that cheaper amount. Yes? Yeah, you're going to have to be loud. I have a microphone, but you don't. In the case of the kids eating the ice cream, uh, eating the ice cream pops, maybe they wouldn't have agreed to buy it if they knew it was 50. Yes, yes. So Lemaisa, if you look in the circle over there, <laughs> where the answer is, so he said that in order to in order to avoid that, because I was pressing my, my other chaverim, uh, you know, to uh, pinpoint exactly what's going to be the consequence now, uh, and they didn't get back to me, which usually means that they're fighting about it over there in, uh, in Brooklyn, but so it said that the boys should go into the store and they should speak to the merchant and try and work it out, and if not, they'll all have to speak to a rub together. So I, I sidestepped uh, actually passing what was going to be the consequence of that. That's uh, Rabbinics 101. It's the best way to answer a Shiloh is avoid the Shiloh. So I went ahead and I avoided it over there. But the point was the important point that to understand that uh, when something, when their transactions are taking place online, we're missing usually the face-to-face meeting of the minds in terms of negotiation. And that could lead to consequences where you actually don't have a meeting of the minds, and then the, tra- the whole transaction doesn't even get off, the, get, get off the ground because you never had a meeting of the mind, which is the most basic prerequisite for any Kenyan whatsoever. Yes? I haven't heard, heard one recently, Right. Uh, does that mean that, that I mean, obviously it was still a mecca of toast in the sense that whoever entered the price made a mistake, whether electronically or otherwise, yet does the, does the airline agree to honor those tickets and in effect make it a proper Kenyan Mahraya? So when we're done with this, we'll address that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For a variety of reasons why that, uh, that's so. But we'll, uh, we, we can address that just uh, when we're done officially. Um, so that, so that, that's something which is also important to, to, to be mindful of that in the creation of a Kenyan, which is taking place online. So one of the things that you have to be aware of and you have to be mindful of is to make sure that the meeting of the minds is actually there. Because if that's not there, you can't take advantage of the fact that a mistake was made, which leaves the other party non-complicit to this Kenyan. He's not agreeing to go ahead and sell at this price. And if you take advantage of that, that, uh, that that's something which is, which is not allowed. So this is something which uh, the, the, the idea, the nature and the, the character of Kenyanim is something which is important to go ahead and to, uh, to iron out. Now this has all sorts of impacts as far as Shabbos is concerned. 
And let's just speak briefly, we have just a, a few minutes, I think. Let's just speak briefly about, the, about Shabbos. So Shabbos, if it's going to be open 24-7, which is, we, we began with that, uh, the, the discussion about how exactly Shabbos is going, is going to work with these things. So there is a machlokus about this, exactly what to, what, what to do. I will just tell you the way that I understand things from having spoken with uh, various poskim, including Rav Shoma Miller, uh, about these things. And he uh, uh, points to immediately one of the things that you have to be mindful of, you have to be aware of. Although there's an iser, Amir al-Nachri, you're not allowed to tell a non-Jew to do a malacha for you on Shabbos. That uh, certainly is, a, is not allowed. That's where the basis of many of these issues arises from. But as far as kalim are concerned, as far as your utensils, things which are inanimate objects, which are doing malacha on Shabbos, so that's allowed. It's machlogus beishama and beisila, but we paskin that ultimately is allowed. That's why, undoubtedly, over the course of Shabbos, your furnace is going on and off, and on and off, and on and off, and during the summertime, your air conditioner is going on and off, and on and off, and on and off. Why is that allowed? Every time the fire goes on, that's a new fire which is being made. So the reason that's allowed is because it's kalim. It's your intent. So you set in motion why this is allowed. Sorry, you set in motion the process. And then when the, the process takes care of itself on Shabbos, there's no human involvement in that at all. So that is something which is, uh, which is allowed on Shabbos. So to a large degree, the transactions which are taking place on Shabbos is all automated. Now, up until when they actually ship it. But the, the, the Kenyan which is taking place is something which is completely automated. You put in your credit card information. The computer on their end takes the credit card information, makes sure that it's authentic, makes sure that there's a, you haven't uh, you know, surpassed your credit limit or anything like that, and says, yes, we're going to go ahead and we've made the Kenyan his chayvus, we've created that obligation to go ahead and provide you with that, that product. Now, it's not so simple. It's not. It, it, it doesn't. Uh, the end of the discussion does is not simply because it's kalim, because it's uh, it's a computer which is doing the malach on Shabbos. Because what about the fact? Is there an iser to make a kinyan on Shabbos? Is there some sort of prohibition to engage in commerce on Shabbos or, or not? So for this, there's a very famous Rebbe Kivager. So it, it, it has uh, all sorts of different uh, uh, applications of it. Let's just take a simple one, one of the ones that Rebbe Kivager discussed, and that is what happens if there's a Pidyon Aben which is, is scheduled to take place, and if you calculate out the day, the ideal day when the, the Pidyon Aben is supposed to take place, it falls out on Shabbos. So we don't do a Pidyon Aben on Shabbos, because you don't want the father to give the money to the Kohen, involves all sorts of, uh, all sorts of transactions, all sorts of uh, issues related to Shabbos. So somebody came up with a chap, nice uh, yeshiva shachap, what they said was, the father, the Avi Ben, he'll give the five slime to the Kohen before Shabbos. And he says to him, I'm giving this to you, but have in mind not to be Kohen of the money now. And you'll have in mind that it'll become yours. It's already in your drawer. It's already in your piggy bank. But it'll become yours on Shabbos. And therefore, on Shabbos, the Pinyin Ben will be affected. And now we've avoided the whole Shabbos issue. We don't have to worry about transactions of money changing hands on Shabbos. I gave you the money already beforehand. It's going to be like in a segregated account, which uh, nobody's allowed to touch until Shabbos. And then Shabbos, at the, at the scheduled time, will snap our fingers, and then the Kenyan will be, will be affected. Or, similar type of thing like we had last year, I go to the non-Jew, one of the things we're busy with when Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos is, what do you do with Mechira's chametz? What do you do with the chametz that you eat on Shabbos, which is not going to be part of the Mechira? So I have a great idea. I'll make the Kenyan with the non-Jew before Shabbos, and I'll say, but you don't actually become the legal owner, the halachic owner of the food, until Shabbos morning. 
at the designated time, suddenly the stuff becomes his. I did all the mechanics of the Kenyan beforehand. So Eger says, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do those things. So that sounds like, and this is what all the Achronim after Kivegar deal with, is it sounds like that there's an absolute, inviolable uh, restriction against making Kenyanim on Shabbos. But the truth is, is that you find many sources where they deal with different types of transactions. There's a couple of Marshads, there's a couple of Maram Shiks about it, there seems to be a stira, an internal uh, uh, inconsistency between two chuvas of the Maram Shik about whether you are allowed to do it, whether you're not allowed to do it. So the way many of the poskim uh, resolve this matter is they say that really it depends on, it's going to revolve around what exactly is taking place on Shabbos. In other words, in, in the, uh, like if you imagine a bomb with a long fuse. So if you have a, a bomb with a long fuse, so I light the fuse on Erev Shabbos, the fuse burns and 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 burns, and, burns, and then just in time for the Ufraf, uh, you want this to go off and candy, like a pinata. Candy will be falling out of the sky and it'll be a great time for everybody to be the, the, the newest shtick, which we could do for a thing. Rather than throwing the candy to people, it'll just drop from the ceiling. So you have this long fuse which does so. That's one scenario. The other scenario is, you go ahead and you say to a non-Jew, putting aside the Amir al-Nakhri, but you go ahead and you say to a non-Jew, you go ahead and break open the, uh, the pinata. So the difference between those two cases is when the pinata breaks open on Shabbos because I lit the fuse on Friday, so ultimately the malacha which happens on Shabbos, it has to be traced to my Misa because I'm the only one who did anything. I did something. I started the process on Friday. The process unfolds over the course of Friday, Friday night, Shabbos night, Shabbos morning. When it eventually takes place, there's still no other input by any other person. So if there's no other input by any other person, it all traces itself back to what I did before Shabbos, that Rabbi Kivegar says is Aser. So if I give the coin the money, and I say, here's the money, but it's not yours until Shabbos day, and then Shabbos morning at 11 o'clock, the money is going to become his. So what was the Kenyan? The Kenyan was the money I gave him yesterday. Because nobody else did anything between yesterday morning when I gave him the money and now when it becomes his. So since there's no input by anybody else or anything else in between, it has to be traced back to me. And that's the case where Rabbi Kivegar says it's going to be problematic. But if I set and process a motion and where I do my input and then somebody else is going to input something on Shabbos, one of the cases the Maram Shik talks about is you submit a bid. This is the eBay Shiloh. You submit a bid before Shabbos, and the bid ends on Shabbos. And it turns out that you had the highest bid. The bid you submitted on Friday turns out to be the highest bid, and the seller announces, okay, Shaffle is the winner of the bid. These, uh, these uh, coins now belong to him. So there, it's not my bid before Shabbos which affected the transaction. What ultimately culminates, what, what completes the transaction is the fact that the non-Jew accepted my bid on Shabbos. Since he's inputting something on his end on Shabbos, that, these poskim say, is not going to be a problem on Shabbos. So the only time, they, they limit Rabbi Kivegar's case to where nothing is going to be done by any person or any, or any object on Shabbos, but if a person or an object are going to participate in the Kenyan ultimately on Shabbos, so then it becomes, they say, that that's going to be permitted. The same way, Kalim in general are allowed to do, are allowed to do malacha. So since, by and large, the transactions which take place, Amazon, other online things, it's all happening automatically. It's all Kalim, it's all computers which are talking to one another. And it's not really a, a person. So therefore, if I'm the seller and somebody comes to my site and they want to buy something, since my Kalim are taking care of it, so by and large, Postkim say that that's not a type of transaction which we need to be uh, so concerned about.
in terms of technical halacha, and they uh, they hold that that's uh, something which is uh, which is permitted. Whether or not somebody should get into such a business, which makes a lot of money off of Shabbos, so this is something one has to discuss with their rav. Not everything which is permitted should you necessarily do, and therefore you have to find out whether we, we at that point, when people call up, we tell them, these are the basic halachas, but whether or not this is something which you should engage in, and it's something which is going to improve your ruchnias, or it's something which could chasasham detract or undo some of your ruchnias, that's a private conversation you have to have with your rav, who knows who you are, where you're holding, what's appropriate for you and what's not appropriate for you, and that is something which ultimately will, uh, will be his achrayas, but there's room to be making this as far as, as far as that is concerned. So these are some of the, uh, the issues. We talked about the nature of the Kenyan. In fact, it's a Kenyan, he's chayvus, it creates an obligation rather than a Kenyan on the actual object uh, itself. And that has ramifications in terms of who is the owner. We talked about on Shabbos, what exactly is going to happen, whether or not your business, your online business can be open on Shabbos or not, and there's room for that to, to be open. And we talked about the importance of that meeting of the minds and not thinking, oh, I just found a great chap that I could go ahead and I could get the $200 item for $20 because that's what it's listed for, that there it turns out that you don't have the meeting of the minds because the merchant never agreed to sell it for that price, and then you really have no king in there uh, whatsoever. Yes? When does it actually? When does the product, When do the Cheerios become yours? Right. Uh, usually, when it when it, either when it hits your yard, if your yard is guarded, what we call chatzamishnameras, different uh, discussion about what exactly the definition of that is, or in the event that it's not, let's say you live in a condo or an apartment building, and all the packages get put in front of those mail slots, so when you actually pick up the thing with your name on it, so that's when you actually make the, that's when it actually becomes yours. That's the, that would be the basis for the leniency with Chametz on Pesach, that it's not yours until you actually take uh, physical possession of it. Yes? If you're the seller in that case, if you're the seller and they, they pick up the thing, yeah, that's because that's they're, they're doing it. They're, they're doing it. You're not doing the, 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 the thing, right? If you have a remote worker in China, whose Shabbos are you talking about? Your Shabbos? Yeah, excellent. That's one of the uh, it's one of the issues that it, as commerce goes global now, so that's one of uh, that, that, that's one it's it's a big question. There's room for leniency as far as far as uh, that is concerned, but that's uh, that's a question also somebody who has that uh, that issue. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, applications where that uh, where that uh, situation could arise, and each one needs to be uh, you know addressed independently. Many people have you know people in computers, they have people who are writing code and whatnot. They're you know, who knows where they are in the world. So they're working on Shabbos, but it's not your Shabbos, and you know how, how exactly to work all of that is also a whole uh, different uh, different shmuz. Are there kinyanim on uh, exclusively digital items? So if someone's buying a license to a software that they're using. Um, so so there is in, in, in classic sense. I'm, we're, we're very busy right now in the uh, I think it's cryptocurrency. By the way, it's a cryptocurrency. But um, yeah, the, the, in classic uh, sense, maybe not. Because there's nothing to to hold, which is uh, which is there. You can't have. There is such a thing as a Kenyan on rights. Right? You could have uh, an acquisition on certain rights and privileges to uh, to be able to uh, to do so. But at the very least, m- much of what happens in terms of Kenyanim, in terms of a transaction in business nowadays, falls under the category of what we call situmta. Situmta is are those transactions and those methods of acquisition, met- methods of Kenyanim, which don't meet the classic. Um, um, Methods, 
like you're not lifting up the thing, you're not pulling the thing. So when you, you know, you buy your, uh, your airline ticket online, so you don't really get anything. You know, you don't even have to print a, you know, a boarding pass at this point. It's, just, it's on your phone. You're just scanning your phone. So what, you know, what, what exactly did you buy? So you bought a right. So when exactly did, you get the, did, did that right become, uh, become yours? So we look at it. Situmta says that the method by which business is generally done, that's the way halach is going to treat it as well. So we look at that in terms of, I mean, there you're not really buying anything if you want to start getting technical. It's, that's also Yitzchayvus. They have an obligation to take you from Chicago to Newark at 7.09. You know, and the, you, know, you have a right to a seat on the thing, but you didn't actually buy anything. It's not uh, Kenyan in terms of acquisition. You hired them. But, uh, but yeah, it, 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 would be, it, would, it would fall under what the uh, general practice is. So that's why the Dayanim and Rabbanim need to know exactly how things uh, you know, unfold. Like in the, you know, in the diamond industry, Mazel Bracha is, is the Kenyan. So that's Situmta. That's just by, by convention, that's the way they do things, and it's honored, everybody recognizes it, so that creates a Kenyan in that particular industry. So things which are bought, like NFTs, that's what it's, NF, NFTs, so that, uh, you know, you're, whatever you're buying, it follows conventional uh, practice. Yeah. Right. So their lawyers are smart enough at this point that they usually put in the terms and conditions which you just click and say yes and agree to whatever it is, gives them all of those outs, you know, to, uh, to whatever it is. I, I, I had a flight, I was supposed to come back from New York to, uh, to Chicago, uh, and they, they canceled the flight. They said it was because of weather. So I said, okay, we're, we're sort of stuck here. Can we, get a, uh, you know, can we get a hotel? They said, no, we don't have to provide you with a hotel unless it's our fault, not if it's weather's fault. But we can put you on another plane. It'll go from St. Louis to Chicago. We'll be able to, uh, to get you there. So I said, okay, I'll still be able to get home. I'll still be able to get home. I'll uh, you know, book me for that flight. And then two hours later, they say that that flight was canceled because they didn't have pilots. So what do you mean? You knew two hours ago you didn't have pilots. So what, what, what did you do? This is now your fault. They said, no, the reason we don't have pilots is also because of weather. <laughs> and therefore, they said, Viter, we don't owe you anything. And just, you know, you're, you're on your own. Find a hotel, find, you know, get Grubhub, see if you get it delivered to, a, you know, some sleazy hotel uh, by LaGuardia. So they have, they, they, they're pretty protective of, the, of, the, of their rights and their responsibilities. So they've covered all of that. Okay. Appreciate very much everybody's uh, uh, attentiveness. If we could turn this off, I will address the... Uh